back to the Futures Edge podcast. I'm Jim Uriel. Today, we have a special guest, uh, commodity broker, analyst, author of one of my favorite books on markets, Higher Probability Commodity <laughs> Trading, uh, contributor to The Street. We have Carly Garner. Carly, we, we've done a lot together before, but I haven't in a while, and I've missed talking to you. How have you been? It's been a while. You know, I'm actually, I don't know what it is with you guys. You invite me on your shows, whatever it happens to be during at the worst times. I think the last time I talked to you on a, a show like this was March of 2020 and literally the world was melting down and I tried to get on the, on screen and try to be optimistic and it was just impossible, but you can't, there's something, we're going to get to the optimism part too. But again, when we begin this show, this is, we filmed this Friday afternoon. I'm tired of worrying about all the shit we've been worried about all Same. week. It's almost happy hour. We'll talk about it, but I want to distance myself. Perfect. Everything doesn't have to be doom and gloom because we don't have control over these things. So let's establish Carly's credibility. First, what's your favorite comedy movie of all time? Kingpin. Even know, nice call, yeah. nice call, good. Okay, over the last two years, what's the best TV show you've watched? Oh, uh, Schitt's Creek. Oh, I, did, I like Schitt's Creek. It was yeah. horny as hell, I thought. Love but I, I, you know, it's that Canadian humor. I really started to like that event. You know, it's Schitt's fun. Creek started out, Schitt's Creek started awful. Like, I watched the first couple of episodes and I'm like, I hate these people. <laughs> And yeah. then by the end, you're literally like fighting over which one you think is a better person. Now I agree. I don't see how they did that. Yeah. Chris, yeah, and it was... I wanted to strangle him. Actually, I mostly wanted to strangle him the whole time in that show. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was a very good show, though. What did you think about Ted Lasso? I've never seen it. No idea. Oh, okay. Ted Lasso is a good I, one. I'd go. I'd give I'm it not. Go. Yeah. I'm not like a pop culture uh, expert by any means. Okay. Kind of stick you're, to my I, own little... <laughs> I have a Carly Garner story I want to throw in here. Oh, right no. Now. Okay. So Carly was kind enough to say, hey, Bob, can you write a forward for my book? Right. So I wrote a forward for her book and I was like, of course, I was honored by the question. So I put in everything I believe to be great about Carly. And would you believe it? She chose Jim Kramer's forward over mine. What? God, I don't know why she would do that. Hey, that's not true. Maybe I Jim should... has more followers. Maybe Jim draws more eyes to. It's actually a great book. I've, I've recommended it to pretty much everyone. Well, who thank asks you. Me. I've actually I recommended a handful of your books to everybody who asks me what they should read when they're getting started in futures. You you literally you. killed it. Yeah. I appreciate that. And for the record, I didn't choose his over yours. Yours was used, just not on the front cover. I mean. Listen, I'm trying to sell books here. I'm sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. <laughs> apologize to us. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the, the broad market to start with. Um, you mentioned uh, doom and gloom. I mean, we've certainly seen a hell of a lot of that. Um, the Fed, you know, obviously a year ago was behind the curve. Are they behind the curve again? I mean, are they ahead of the curve now? Are they tightening too hard in the recessionary pressures, in your opinion? Um, I, I mean hindsight's 2020. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see before, but before I feel confident about any opinion, to be honest, it's been such a crazy year. That said, I believe the Fed's kind of known for job owning and their interest rate policy is more talk, less action, or at least that's how it's been historically. And I think that's exactly what we're getting. They did a really good job of talking extremely hawkish and driving interest rates higher and make the markets have reacted to everything without them really even pulling the trigger. I mean, they have, but at a very 
minimal amount. And I think the market's overpriced it. And I think so this gives the Fed the ability to, uh, you know, pull back and maybe not follow through with their plan, which I don't think they will. I know this is kind of a uh, maybe a unpopular opinion, but I don't think inflation is going to continue at this pace. I think we're going to kind of level out and, and relax, especially on the commodity side of things. I know there's so many other things that work into that, but on the commodity side of things, if you look at grains, uh, energies, sure, they can hold these in the short run, but in the long run, we've never really seen commodities hold these types of prices you know, for, for very long. So yeah. I have serious doubts. I said, I said the same thing on Twitter yesterday. I think the fact that rates are shot higher, the fact mm. that asset prices, particularly in crypto world, but let's just, I mean, focus on equity because it's a much greater amount, but asset prices have been absolutely cascading. That's a deflationary uh, pressure too. All that needs to happen, and I don't even think it needs to happen for the inflation story to start to dissipate, is some supply chains working themselves out, which I agree doesn't seem mm. to be happening yet. When it does, I think um, inflation will be a thing of the past. Is that what you're looking at too? Absolutely, I agree with you. I think, I mean, we've we've seen we've been doing this a long time, Jim. We've seen it over and over. The story grows louder and louder and louder. And when it's the loudest, it's literally it's old news. And I think that's probably where we are. Um, I got to admit, I I really underestimated the market's reaction to some of this stuff. I mean, geez, the Treasury market really wow. uh, shocked me. Wow, that was a that was a big one. So, <laughs> been caught on the wrong foot a few times this year. It's been a kind of a crazy year, but uh, I think going forward, hopefully, we've wiped out all the, the the wild speculation and the panic, and things will hopefully come back to fundamentals in. Uh, reasonable. I mean, I miss the civilized markets of 2019. I, I think we were spoiled and we didn't know it. Well, one thing I ask you guys that both something. Yeah. I want to ask you guys both something. So you how much of the 8.3 if you're looking at CPI and 6.6 .6 if you're looking at um, PCE, you do you believe a four percent or five percent of that is supply chain? Oh, I believe it's greater than that. Uh, uh, Carly, I'm curious as your opinion on that. I would say it's 15 to 20% of it is supply chain. I think there's shared responsibility, government probably get spending, rates mm -hmm. being kept at zero, um, not producing the same amount of energy that we had in the past. And again, it's, it's easy to pick one of those things and blame a villain, but I think it's the combination of all of them. Carly, what do you think? I think you're exactly right. I mean, honestly, there are so many moving parts and I think it even goes beyond conventional wisdom, like uh, supply, supply chain issues, obviously, but we're seeing some weird things. So for example, today I noticed that if you look over the last like six or seven months, the US dollar and corn futures have settled in the same direction, like 94% of the time. That's really just silly. That should never happen. And what it tells me is there's um, a lot of the inflation pressures that we're seeing are maybe, I don't want to say speculative, but market, rea market reaction as opposed to um, true fundamental. So you can see that in crude oil, like crude oil probably has an eight to $10 premium just because of all the things that are going on overseas. And those types of uh, inflation pressures are uh, self-fulfilling prophecy or man-made, so to speak. So it's going to be interesting when things normalize and some of the speculative money comes out, which I think is probably going to be sooner than we think. And uh, I, I can't wait to be honest. I'm, here's, here's my question then to you. Okay. I've, and again, I, you, I can be wrong here. I'm just, this is my opinion on it. I think the Fed goes twice more 50 and then puts on like a mental hold. I think they'll just say, you know, we're getting close to the neutral rate. We're going to see how things are kind of like 
throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what sticks. Does that seem reasonable? Do you have a different prediction than that? No, no, I think that's, I mean, I haven't, uh, you know, we've, they've given us the dot plot and the, they've said what they're going to do. I haven't actually like pinpointed where I think they're going to stop, but I think you're right. I think we're talking two, three meetings. We're going to be put on pause. And then honestly, the market's going to, uh, the markets are going to love that. Everything will probably kind of buoy higher treasuries, equities, everything, regardless of anything else going on, because we've already priced in, uh, nine, 10 rate hikes, which is, you know, probably not on the table in my opinion. Okay. So, so we, we've had a couple of people like your personality is just, you're so even keeled and so just nice and kind of, I, we're going to work real hard over the next 10 minutes to get you to say something main, particularly sure. about the Fed. Um, so it okay. just happens recently that he, he took soft landing away from his rhetoric Basically, a day or two after, and Sri Kumar, we've had on the show before, I think Sri Kumar talked about how they might be a little bit politically motivated, but it was basically a day or two after his final appointment was made. Mm -hmm. Then he started talking about, oh, yeah, things are a little bit worse. Do, how politically motivated are they? And if I said the word politically motivated halfwits, how correct do you agree? How much do you agree with that? I think... Um... Okay, so I've spent enough time in DC to kind of get a feel. Like I have friends there. I I spent a lot of time there. It is a echo chamber of chaos. So I can guarantee you there's political motivations, even even if they're not necessarily conscious, they're there. Um, that said, I do I really when I think of I'm not going to say that uh, the Fed doesn't know what they're doing, but the reality is they are academics. And so they approach things from an academic point of view and they probably don't understand the other side of it, which is uh, markets are ultimately determined by human emotion and reactions to things. And I think they really underestimate that part of the equation because they're looking at books and equations and they think there's some sort of mathematical answer to things and there's not. It just it, it just amazes me so much because I, I say the same thing. And I actually it's almost bumming me out how much we agree on these things. But you sure. talked about you know markets, the way markets move in emotion. And yeah. people of my age, I know you're a bit younger than I am, but when we think of markets correcting or economic headwinds beginning, we think of the tech bubble and we think of the real estate bubble. Well, those things were a bubble because of market position and real estate particularly been built up for basically over 30 years. We got to this crazy, crazy point where everybody's brother-in-law who was an electrician owned five homes and was planning on uh, flipping them and selling them. I don't see those excess positions. Just the, just a price of something to me doesn't dictate a bubble that's going to pop. Uh, it's got to be market position as well, right? Oh, absolutely. I think when you see these big giant moves, I think it's almost all market position. Uh, not, uh, I mean, let's say 70, 80% of it. Right. Like for example, what we're seeing in the metals, I think that everyone, they jumped on board with the inflation story. There's a war, you know, we should be long gold and silver, that kind of thesis. And then uh, when other things started to come in play, higher interest rates, uh, higher dollar, then all those pe people had to take their money. And then they, we got into a situation where they're cascading liquidations because they're raising money over here to pay for margin calls over there. And so it, it it's not that gold and silver are this much less valuable today than they were three weeks ago. It's just literally people were way too long. They had to sell to make up, uh, you know, pay for other things, pay for put money elsewhere, wherever the case is. So Bobby, it's all positioning. Bobby, I want to know, do you consider it a victory? When I got her to say that the Fed doesn't know what they're doing, kind of half, is that a victory for me? Do I win that one or no? With Carly, that's a victory. <laughs> that's what I mean. Exactly. Hey, yeah. so, 
listen, I say and do stupid things all the time, so I'm, I don't want anyone calling me out, so I, I try to play it safe. I saw some right. of that in uh, New York. <laughs> Stop it. Um, the, re the real estate market. Um, what are your thoughts? You heard what I just said about the, you know, no, no, my brother-in-law doesn't own five properties. Do you think the real estate market is primed for a big pullback or do you agree with me that, you know, it could cool off, but I, I don't see a big plunge. You know, uh, luckily I think that we as a society in the, uh, lending institutions learned a lot of lessons from 2006, to 2007. So like I live, obviously I live in Las Vegas, which is literally the epitome of boom and bust real estate. I mean, Holy smokes. I had um, in 2006, 2007, I actually owned two homes because I thought I was smart. I upgraded, held on to the, the first home thinking the market's in the dumps. It can only go higher. And it literally dwindled to like $50,000. This is a, a house. I mean, things were just insane. And so we've all learned lessons. Uh, and I think that you're right. I think things are I don't think that's going to happen. I do think that prices need to obviously stabilize. And I think this big jump in interest rates in a very short amount of time is probably going to take a really big step towards that. And also we're on this side of the country. I, not, I know not so much over there, but here they're, the builders are just going full boat. So we've got inventory finally coming down the pipeline and it's coming fast. I mean, they're building uh, entire communities in six months to nine months. So, oh. Okay, let's get on to the metals. Um, what do you think is the overriding theme in the metals markets right now? Uh, I think it's just it's just liquidation is the name of the game. I think it has nothing to do with fundamentals or or anything like that. It's you know the metals are really they're a market that um, there's a small group of people that always want to be long gold and silver, but if you look at over time, it's actually a really sadistic market. It rallies just enough to sucker some of the, the sidelined players in and then let them down. And it's really a heartbreaking market. It's, it's the one market that if you do want to participate in, it's better to literally just stay on the sidelines until you see a big dip. And those are usually the good opportunities. Um, I think that that's probably what we're seeing now. I think everybody's, as I mentioned before, liquidating, liquidating to uh, basically raise money and raise cash. But we've seen this in 2020. Uh, we saw it back in 2007, eight. Gold and silver tend to liquidate as the economy is going into recession and people are panicking. But then as soon as all that kind of runs its course, they literally uh, just take off for the races. And I think we're going to get something like that. I think we've dashed everybody's hopes. And once the last seller's out, I think we turn around and go much higher. So I want to connect a couple dots that we just okay. said before, Bobby, I want you to come, come in on this too, but you just talked about, we both talked about the Fed and their projections for so many tightenings being overzealous and that's not going to happen. And then we just talked about the metals markets particularly. In my mind, I was thinking some gold and silver, particularly because you said yeah. sadistic and I've been just absolutely been whatever the, uh, the adjective Same. for that by those markets. Um, so do, are those things connected? Do you think if the Fed yes. goes on hold, then all of a sudden gold and silver could start to rally again? And how does Bitcoin Absolutely. or crypto fix it, fit into that? So I think I, I agree with you 100%. I think that that's exactly what's going to happen. Once people realize the Fed's maybe not going to do uh, follow the dot plot, I think gold and silver benefit from that. Because um, the, the theory is if people can put money into um, interest rate, you know, interest bearing assets, why would they hold gold and silver? And so that's why you see that, that big cash uh, outflow. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that. And also we have to keep in mind the, the US dollar, I mean, I don't think it's getting enough attention. It is insane what's going on in the currency markets. The dollar pretty much went parabolic a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we've broken up against 
multi-year highs. And so it's kind of in no man's land. I suspect that because of the pace and, and uh, trajectory of the move, I don't think it's sustainable. I, even though we've kind of closed above uh, multi-year highs, I think that within a couple of weeks, we're going to start seeing that reverse, but I could be wrong. So we'll see what happens. But if that's the case, that should take a lot of selling pressure off gold and silver. Bobby, what do you got? A couple of things. So um, I'm glad you brought up the dollar because I'm actually, I've got a dollar index chart right in front of me. And one of the things I'm trying to understand with the US dollar, and maybe you can help with this, is the, in, the traditional or the typical inverse relationship between precious metals, specifically in the US dollars, metals in general, right? But I'm talking about precious here. Um, I think what people might be, I don't think inflation is going to go away. And what I'm, where I'm going with this is, I think that success for the Fed is going to be four and a half to 5%. And then they're going to have the excuse, and I'm calling it an excuse, of saying, now we have to wait for the supply chain to work itself out. And one of the things I'm seeing both anecdotally and in some of the data is part uh, people don't realize what a big part G, uh, inventory rebuilding is of GDP. And if you have people waiting for the supply chain to loosen up, and I'm really interested in, in the Las Vegas home thing, um, can GDP actually ramp up in any meaningful way if inventories can't rebuild? So I see a recession, I see inflation not going away. And during stagflation, because that's what that would be, nothing works. So I'm curious if the dollar is the only thing that then can, I, I mean, you're not locking in at negative rates anymore at that point. If we can just get inflation down two or 3%, does the dollar become the only safe haven and does it keep going up? Obviously, technically, I don't even know what you do with this. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, one thing that I'm, I don't have an answer for you, but, but I can say the really odd thing about when the dollar was going parabolic a few weeks ago, it was the same time. And I think it was absolutely a flight to quality. Pe people just didn't know what else to do. And so mm -hmm. they went to dollar and they must've kept it in cash because at the same time, everything else was right on the screen. Treasuries were tanking, stocks were tanking. Uh, even some of the commodities were having a little bit of a sell-off. So other than corn and the US dollar, everything was red. So it's interesting. I I have to assume that it's sitting in cash somewhere ready to, to be deployed. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I'll so add your experience this. of looking at precious metals uh, mm -hmm. technically. So the trade I'm going to give out um, once Jim's done talking to you and you're welcome to stay or you can leave after that if you want to rest from these insane markets um, <laughs> is going to be a silver lawn. And I'm scared to death of it. <laughs> really. Oh. So like looking at it from a perspective, I mean, I've got a fairly tight stop. If you call a $600 stop tight, you know, from a perspective of metals, there's no real safe place to buy commodities in these environments, is there? No, if you look at uh, 2020 before silver had a big run, it dropped like six, seven dollars in a, in a very short amount of time. And then it started making its run. So that's the really tough part about these things. If you're playing with stops, you're probably going to get stopped out. But if you don't have a stop, then you're not going to sleep at night and you're probably going to, it's going to be too painful. You may panic and get out anyway. So it's really, there's no free lunches there. Yeah, that, that's what happened in my Arbob trade. It yeah. literally went my way after I got stopped out by about 40 cents. I mean, these, these are really tough markets. There's no way winning. And we uh, kind of focus on options and I'm telling you, there's no, it's not any better in the options because it's the volatility is just so high. Um, if you're doing spreads, you don't, even if you're right, you don't make money because the vol just like, like takes away all your profits. I mean, it's really just 
it's tough out there. Um, but with silver coming into the year, we kind of point, pinpointed a value zone between 19 and 21. And to be honest, we didn't really think we'd get here the, that fast. And we even, we, we weren't even sure we'd get here. So now that we're here, I agree with you. It's really, really scary. But I think uh, maybe the, the best play might be, you know, use there. Unfortunately, there's no micro silvers, but there's a mini silver. At least you can kind of give yourself uh, room for error because it's very possible, even if we're right and silver bottoms out in this general area, it's very possible. We run down and touch the mid 19s first. There's a gap from... Uh, the middle, like I think it's July or August of 2020, silver left a gap down there. And that's just, you know, I'm not someone that thinks gaps are always filled, but uh, it's probably a target for some speculators. So I wouldn't be shocked to see that before we turn around. We're, we're talking about the dollar for a second, too. I think that we'd be remiss we didn't mention that in the last couple months, as we started to talk more responsibly about our currency, at the same exact time, the Bank of Japan decided that they were going to engage in unlimited QE to peg 0.25% on their 10-year yield. And at the same time, the Russia-Ukraine thing, Ukraine thing erupts and um, threatens the entire European um, economy. So those two currencies make up 70% of the basket or 68% of the basket. So it was really kind of a perfect storm for the dollar to go parabolic. As the BOJ, do you think that they're, are they going to continue with this ridiculous notion of pegging the rates? They seem to be one to stick to their story. Now, I really, I was just completely off balance in the yen because I, I was positioned coming into the year, I kind of expected turmoil in the stock market. So my thought were, was belong treasuries, belong the yen, you know, looking for some, some safety. And wow, that just ended up being the exact wrong place to be. So uh, we'll, yeah. we'll see how it goes. But I actually think, I hesitate to say it, but I think the yen should at least stabilize. We might even start grinding a little higher here just as things work out. Not necessarily because BOJ is going to change, but I think the Fed will change. And for the people who are watching, the yen, you know, historically has been a safe on the safe haven list. And this time it's just, I mean, it's no. been the, the worst of the worst. Um, copper, what are you seeing in the copper so copper is kind of a bellwether, or at least some people believe it is, and I do too. If you look at copper, what it's done in, for example, 2008, before all heck broke loose, and 2011, and some of the other big corrections, copper is usually the first one to break. In 2020, I think copper started breaking down in January before uh, stocks were even paying attention to COVID or anything else. And so copper really kind of tells a story. Copper in the last couple of weeks has sold off a little bit, but seasonally that's actually in line with what we would expect this time of year. And we're holding support in my eyes, as long as copper holds $4.390 area, I think that that's supportive for everything. And I think uh, other risk assets start to stabilize. If we see copper breaking down below 390, that's when I start to really worry. Cop uh, Bob, have you been looking at copper and have you been uh, traded the minis, the micros yet that they launched? I have, and actually, um, this trade I'm doing is going to be a mini silver, but I really wanted to find a copper trade, and I just can't find one. I mean, again, so it, it actually leads me to a, a question for Carly, but when I was looking at copper today, I'm like, wow, I'd really like to get involved, but I literally just can't find, even with micros, I can't get risk-reward yeah. right, because when something moves down that far, I can give you targets for the next leg down, but I don't want to short it, and I certainly don't want to buy it. So it's almost like I need some back and fill to short it, or I need some basing activity to go long it. I like actually uh, sort of an economic rebound story, especially out of China with copper, but it's just not, it's not playing out the price action. So I can't do anything about it. 
the China story just baffles me every day. Like, I don't know what they're getting at. I don't know what their point is. Uh, if these headlines we're, we're hearing are true, I mean, this could be disastrous for the supply chain that they're really, are they really just locking down all these big major cities? What do you, you guys got anything to add to that? Or nobody knows, right? Uh, it, it seems silly to me, but to be honest, we're talking about a country that literally built fake cities just to keep their economy going. So, I mean... I don't think we're Amen. ever going to find any good answers for that. <laughs> good. So yeah, Carly, I, this... I, wanted to tell, I, I don't know if I've said this in this in this podcast before, and I'll keep it really vague, but I have a really close friend who worked for a very large Chinese bank in the New York branch. And anytime there was data out of China, he'd be like, yeah, I don't even know if that's, he wouldn't even know if that was accurate or not. Always question if it was. So yeah. we don't know what's going on there. It's one of those things where you work with the data you have because it's all crap. Right. So. I barely believe our own data coming out of our country. Like, you know, I'm sure as hell not going to believe China's data. Carly, <laughs> right. you still a sneakerhead? Oh, absolutely. What's the best pair you bought recently? Uh, I've been loading up on Yeezys. They just, I just can't get enough of them. They're comfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they make it fun, right? It's like a lottery. So they, the marketing yeah. on those are just ridiculous. So How they, many pairs of sneakers do you own? Uh, I mean, I can't even... I don't know, a lot. (laughs) But Adidas is like, they're genius. So what they do is they, if if they have a new pair of sneakers coming out, they say, okay, here's what we got. The lottery starts on X, you know, whatever, on Saturday. You put your name in, you put your credit card. And if you win, they charge you 250 bucks and send you the sneakers. And you usually, it's really hard to win, believe it or not. So every week you're like, shoot, I I didn't win, but... I want to buy these stock yeah. right now. <laughs> I know. Jordan, uh, Nike crazy. does the same thing with Jordans. Uh, yeah. They stole it from Adidas, obviously. They do the same thing with Air Jordans yep. now. And I only buy Air Jordan 1s. And just for context, Jimmy, I'm not as big a sneakerhead as Carly is. And I have 47 <laughs> pairs. So um, going from that perspective, you do the same thing with the Air Jordans. You put your name in and they literally, and you put your size in and which ones. They only drop one at a time. Like I said, I only buy the Jordan ones, that first pair, different colors. And literally it's like, you, you're looking on a Saturday morning like it's actually <laughs> something you should be excited about. I couldn't be more confused by this conversation. I think the three of us have a, have a lot in common and this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Hey, but anyway, I everyone's at got a pair a, of got low a top Jordans that literally have all of the, the what do you call them? Ace, uh, spades, clubs, hearts, what do you get? The suits all of the suits from playing cards on the shoes and they're low top, uh, they're uh, low rise Air Jordans and I bought them for $125. And the other day they popped up, I'm like, oh, I should get a second pair. And I looked, they're now 515. Yeah, I refuse Yeah, I refuse to buy aftermarket. That's just a total rip off. Yeah, I don't do that either. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm not giving people extra money like that, no way. Okay, so Carly, at this point now, Bobby and I have uh, trades worked up. We love for you to stay and comment on them. But if you want to go too, I know it's Friday afternoon. It's completely up to you. And you can go at any time. Uh, you can just hit the button. We'll, we'll deal with it. But I wanted to talk about um, our trades first. Bobby, you ready? I am. Okay, so so we talked about the dollar in the real. We talked about the dollar's parabolic move higher. Um, Carly mentioned that she thought it, it had to be overdone and kind of had to correct itself some point down. I thought we saw that in the euro over the last couple of days. It tried like hell, tried like hell to bounce back and then failed. So to me, I'm still, I have not seen a story that's compelling for the euro to bounce back from where it cratered from a couple of weeks back. So I, this is a trade I do have on. Sold the micro euro at one spot, 0422, 
targeting one spot zero three zero zero on the downside and a stop placed up above the one spot zero four eight zero. So that trade in the micros, I have to put my glasses on. I feel so old when I have to do this. That trade for the one lot in the micros is 150 bucks if you reach your target and you stopped out, you lose 72 bucks. Bobby, do you think I'm crazy or no? No. I, so over the weekend, they're releasing, the European Council is releasing their spring economic forecast for the EU. And that often has an agricultural component to it. Not always. And I suspect that the war between Russia and Ukraine uh, might adjust that a tiny bit and show some weakness that probably people believe could happen and many of us are expecting. But I suspect that particular report is likely to drive the euro down again. So I that's, like to say. that's mostly my thesis is that we're not we're not uh, done with the bad headlines for embargoes and what it could do to energy and grain and ultimately the European economy, which would cause them to stay being dovish compared to our hawks. Carly, thoughts if you're still there? Hey, the trend is your friend and it has not this year has not paid to try to fight the trend. So I think you're right. We closed at the lowest level in the Euro futures, I think, since 2003. Yeah. Those kind of things don't usually just spin around on a dime. They go that low for a reason, and they usually repeat and stay there for a while before they base. Right, and the reason the reason's valid as hell. I mean, sure. you know, we're we're tightening, they're loosening. What what more fundamentally easy easy could it be? I mean, not that this change is going to be easy, because oftentimes, you, as soon as it looks like there's no other way, that's when you get spanked. Yeah. But that's why. That's why you put it on the micros. That's why you have your stops and you manage it. Bobby, you talked about silver. Let's talk about your trade. Yeah, I, I'm literally shaking over this trade. <laughs> Not really shaking, but I'm scared to death of it. But I bought silver. I bought it uh, around 2097 half. Um, I was really smiling ear to ear when Carly told me her value area because I'm right in there, right, right in the middle of it. And I suspect there's going to be a little bit of back and fill in silver. I mean, I'm, I never do this within path trading partners, because Mike Arnold, who's also very technical, was on the show last week, won't let me. Um, I don't have a buy signal here in silver. I just think it's overdone. I think it's really overdone. The volume today was was weak on this little rally, so I probably won't get any help with that. But I'm going to stop myself out of new lows, which would be 2036 half, so, and I'm only looking for 2180. I think it'll probably get, go higher than that. I think it'll probably go closer to about 2250. So I might bump that target up, and that's when I'll get turned around and get stopped out. But uh, this particular trade in the minis risks about $610 to make about 825. Pretty sure I'm going to lose the 610 on this one. So, you know, I kind of played my hand um, earlier in the show. And I'm, I'm long silver, and I've been amassing a long as, as a dollar hedge slash investment. And I know sometimes traders, we joke about, oh, you, they, you meant that as a trade and then you moved it over to the investment ledger to make yourself feel a little better. And there might be some element of that as well. But I have a relatively large uh, position, silver, gold, and platinum. And it is about a uh, dollar hedge. It's about not trusting the stewardship of our currency in the face of things getting bad. Now, the Fed has has almost convinced me that I'm that I'm wrong, but not yet. And I've not spit out my position so far. But as Carly and I talked about, I think they're going to hit the brakes on tightening earlier than the market is anticipating. And that could finally, at some point in time, put a stop to the silver, uh, to the dollars rally. And again, I know that my Euro trade is, is, is lower, but I'm talking about different timeframes here and support silver and gold. So I, I'm with you on this. I like it. Yeah. I also need to point out that like interest rates fell from last week. 
I mean, the two-year fell by about 13 basis points, five-year by about 19, the 10-year by about 22, and the 30-year by, by, by about 17, right? Okay. Which should be, you know, okay for my trade if it were to continue. Uh, I'm sorry, if we were to, to continue in that direction. I think short-term we will, um, but long-term, I think that's probably why I'm so scared of this trade because I don't so, expect rates to stay lower. Carly, when you look at what happened, in Terra and Luna and cryptocurrency world in general. If, if cryptocurrency right now is going through a period of mistrust, does that support the model, the precious metals? Um, I mean, in theory, we've been hearing for years that Bitcoin is the new gold, right? But I'm not really seeing any money flowing from one to the other. So it'll be interesting. One thing I, before I answer that though, I would just want to point out, I noticed uh, silver was down 16 days in a row, 16 trading sessions in a row. So yeah, Jim, I'm I know, with you. Carly, thanks. No, hey, I'm <laughs> trust me, I'm in the same pain trade. It is a pain trade. It has when you see that sort of thing, and also I can tell you as on the brokerage side of thing, margin calls are just literally flowing in every day on in those markets. And so this that's exactly what's going on. So sit down 16 in a row. And I think if I recall uh 17 of the last 19 down days, I don't remember any commodity. Ever. I could be wrong. I haven't like run the data, but I don't, I don't, I don't remember that ever happening. Before. Yeah, I don't either. So I think you guys are on the right uh, foot there with, with things bouncing back. Um, as far as the, the Bitcoin gold thing, honestly, I've never been a real believer in Bitcoin. I believe in the technology. I don't believe in any particular coin itself. Um, and so I think that what I think is interesting is that, you know, we talk about the wealth effect in the stock market, but what about the wealth effect in crypto? I mean, those people, we're talking, people, I've heard all kinds of stories. I even know some, which tells me it's probably a lot more than you think out there that quit their jobs. And like, they thought this was their retirement account and things are going oh, yeah. poorly. So it's going to be yeah, interesting. I think it was one of the reasons, out. one of the reasons we were having trouble attracting people back to the job market. I think it's part of the crypto, all the crypto bros thinking that they're going to make money in trade, at trading, which by the way, they all think, oh yeah, we're two-way traders, but everybody's a genius in a whole market when assets yeah. are going higher. And then when markets are going two directions is when you see who's really good at this. And we'll, we'll see, I, I would suspect. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about equities. Um, I've seen, I, I, you know, two months ago, I said down 20% in the uh, S&P, down 35% in the NASDAQ. Yesterday, we just absolutely down ticked 20%, but I'm not quite ready to call it over yet. I, I don't, I don't, I think we need a signal of some sort from the Fed that there might be blue skies ahead. Carly, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, from a charting perspective, I too had my eye on the 20% area. Um, and I and we're obviously we're, we're toying with that. I think the from a charting perspective, I think if we can close above 4,000, let's say early next week, I think that's good enough for maybe a bounce to 4,300. But I too am not thinking we're, we're looking at all-time highs yet. I think it's going to be really rocky and we may have another trip down before okay. things stabilize. Okay, here's my trade. In full transparency, I have this trade on, but not not exactly like I'm like I'm going to lay it out because I took off some options and let myself my short hedges be more than they were at this level. But I didn't actually sell the June micros at 40.40 when they bounced up there late in the day on Friday. So I got sell at 40.40, a target at 39.50 on the downside and a stop placed above at 48.80. And I know for the you guys who were trading on Friday that it traded up to, uh, to this level, it cratered, then it came back. Um, and uh, and I, I'm planning on doing it again if it gets there. Bobby, any thoughts? I think you might get stopped out. You think and, so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think you're going to get filled and I think you might get stopped out. And the reason is just something typical that uh, we watch at PATH and that I watch personally is, is we have a rotation zone on every single chart. And I think we're likely to move back up into that rotation zone and the top of it comes in about 4160 or so. And I'm actually, I'm calling a medium term bottom over the next week or so. I don't have it pinpointed. I don't have a basing pattern yet, uh, but I expect, so going by the definition of a bear market, which is 20% down from all time high, and we don't come out of a bear market until there's a new all time high. So just going by titles, I expect both the NASDAQ or the S&P and the Dow to go into a bear market before this whole thing is over. So that puts the Russell down over 30%, the NASDAQ somewhere down in the range of 30%. But as we all three know from our experience, the bear market rallies are some of the fastest, most painful for the shorts that you can possibly see. And I suspect that's what's coming. Um, so I like that you're waiting for a rally to sell it. I just wish you were waiting for it to go a little higher. And I get, and I get it. And, I, and bear, bear market rallies are, can be They're absolutely awesome. just, just nasty. Yeah. So, yeah. but, and I actually had one, uh, I mean, this, the one we had on Friday, you know, we were up 110, 120 at one point in time. And that was nice. And I had some okay stuff on for that too. I didn't make a, a King's ransom, but uh, I made a little bit. What else you got for Carly, Bob, before we let her go? I finished my drink. Um, you never asked her, but I know the answer to this question already. Dogs or cats, Carly? Oh, dogs, beagles specifically. Oh yeah, Frankie, right? Yeah. He's I one of the most beagles. famous trader dogs on the planet. <laughs> Frankie's famous. Frankie Frankie's. was on RFD TV once. Really? really? Yeah. For her it's birthday. Fantastic. Yeah. It's fantastic. Good. And have you <laughs> had other dogs besides Frankie, or are you just a one dog? I, this is my second beagle, and I, I'll never get it. it. I don't know. Beagles are just fun. They're hard. Yeah, they're, I, they're sporty dogs, but they're you know they're small yeah. enough. I like I like these. exactly. Yeah. Good. Well, this has been great. Again, it's Carly Garner, Garner, one of my favorite analysts, uh, author of Higher Probability Trading. If you guys haven't read it, you should soon. Carly, where can they follow you on Twitter? Uh, the handle is at Carly Garner, C-A-R-L-E-Y-G-A-R-N-E-R. Check me out on Twitter. I do post dog pictures, so if you're an animal hater, then maybe it's not the place for you. If you're an, an animal, animal hater, you can stop go watching this show. Thank you. Yes. Any and stop hater, watching the show. Unsubscribe. Yeah. <laughs> we don't want you. <laughs> Perfect. Good. Oh, this is good. I, I, I've enjoyed this one a lot. Thank you very much, Kelly. Really Thanks, guys. And one, one thing that's always kind of fun to me is like when we to end any Zoom call or podcast, there's that kind of uncomfortable spot. And it's like you're 14 talking to your girlfriend and you're like, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. So I'm always the first to hang up. <laughs> <laughs>